0: Welcome to Onco I'm your host, John Bazaar, and today uh, I think you guys are, are, are going to enjoy this. This is the longest podcast that we have and ever will put out, but uh, but I hope it's the best. And this is I'm calling this you know conversations with a cancer survivor. And uh, lucky enough to work with a cancer survivor, his name's Brian O'Dell, and you're going to hear this interview next. Enjoy. Today we have Brian O'Dell associate professor, correct? I guess that is correct. Associate That's professor right. of pharmacy practice here. Your office is three doors down, three it offices is down? is, three offices down Right. yours, okay. correct. Well, why don't you tell us, uh, you can tell, listeners will be able to tell from your accent that you're not from the Midwest like I am. I am not. So where's home originally? Home
1: is western Tennessee. West Tennessee, okay. And then you went to pharmacy school? At University of Tennessee okay. in Memphis. And then training? Residency? It was uh, University of Maryland Medical System in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. And that's is that where your cancer story starts? Yes, it is. Uh, University of Maryland, I was uh, actually finishing up residency, and it, I guess it came uh, maybe April of uh, uh, my residency year. Of course, uh, we would be finishing up June 30th, so I started looking for jobs maybe early March. I got an interview, a couple of interviews. Uh, One of those was in southern Mississippi and uh, Starkville, Mississippi, actually. And folks were real nice to me there, and that was back in 1995. And uh, I remember uh, I thought it was really neat that they flew me in and picked me up in a car and drove me to Starkville. And I thought, you know, what are they rolling out the red carpet for this pharmacist for, you know? But, uh, you know, that was back in the day when uh, uh, you still had BS PharmD programs. And so to have a farm deal with the residency was very unique at that time. Yeah. And so rolled out the red carpet. And where I'm going with this is, 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 is I liked it. My wife liked that area. And so uh, before I took the job, you know, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to have a month without any insurance uh, because I'm going to finish up residency, but I'm not going to start, uh, uh, I guess, my job until August. So they'd give me a month for COBRA or whatever, but I better get a physical before I go. And so just got a routine physical and uh, just the phone. You know, I remember sitting in the, in the uh, PCP or at that time internist. Uh, he was from Brooklyn, New York. He worked in Baltimore. and He looked across the desk at me and he said, you know, I'm going to get a chest x-ray in you. He said, but I really shouldn't. He said, insurance will probably balk because you're a young man, healthy, you ride a bike 50 miles over the weekend, you run, et cetera, et cetera. There's going to be no issues with you. But he said, I'm still going to get a chest x-ray and he did, and uh, the next day I was walking across the street, uh, I guess South Green Street in Baltimore, and he ran up behind me, put his arm around me, and said, hey, can we talk for a second? I said, sure. He said, we found a large mass in your chest x-ray. He said, I'm glad we did it now. And it turned out to be a germ cell tumor. And so I stayed in uh, Baltimore for another, uh, I guess, uh, year, maybe a year and a half. And uh, thoracic surgery saw me. Um, they uh, of course I took chemo prior to surgery. Then they opened me up, took the tumor out, and uh, that was it. I had no more trouble with uh, okay that germ cell.
0: So sounds like you know uh, mediastinal germ cell tumors. So yeah, treat, exactly. Treated like testicular cancer. Yes. So if not for that, would you have gone to Mississippi? Uh, yes, I would have. So that kept you in Maryland. It did. And then after that, you come to Johnson City here. I did. So we wouldn't have you, That's and then, so you work at the hospital here. College of Pharmacy opens, got in College right. Pharmacy, and they, Larry Calhoun hires you from across the parking
1: lot. That's right. If not for that first cancer. That's right. Because <laughs> I don't know where I would have been I'm not sure we would have stayed, you know, 25 years in Mississippi. But I would have come up the river. You would have moved north. Yeah, probably, that's right. Back to it, West it, Tennessee. Yeah, because it was closer back to West Tennessee. My wife's from this area. But at the same oh, time, nice. we would still, if we would have moved up the river, so to speak, to West Tennessee, we'd still been closer to yeah. East Tennessee. been Six and a half, seven hours. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, so so that's that's your work
0: history. You work as a clinical pharmacist that's here right. at the med center here in town, and then you come work. Uh, you joined the faculty pretty early on in the I college. Did. after. 2007. 2000. July 2007. 2007. Okay. And I came here 2009, a couple, of years, a couple of years later after you guys did all the heavy lifting
1: with the curriculum. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> we
0: didn't do much. We, we just kept dragging it until you yeah. got here. and yeah. took care of it. Uh, and then so health-wise, everything's good.
1: Yeah, yeah. During I turned time. along, doing well. Uh, I was, you know, working out every day. I've always enjoyed that, even when I was in undergrad. Uh, I mean, that's anything from uh, free weights to bicycling to canoeing. To, you know, I'd go out west and whitewater uh, raft, uh, you know, Snake River in Idaho. I was fortunate to do a lot of those things as a young man. And uh, I'd, I'd run a lot, try to stay in shape. And so, yeah, health is doing doing great. You know, I had five year follow up after the uh, germ cell tumor, but you know, he, he cut me loose and said mm-hmm. you're good to go. So yeah, all through the 2000, so to speak, uh, no problems at all. And then, two years ago? Yeah, it was about two years ago. Actually, uh, yeah, it was right on two years ago. It was uh, would have been December 2016 or very, very early 2017.
0: And this is January 2019. Yeah, and the it would have been January
1: 2017. Me. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so you're right on two years. I've been having some hip pain, and that's just unusual. For me, I have a little you know, anybody does the exercises or, you know, you try to, uh, uh, you know, you, you lift weights or you run or you run a half a marathon or whatever it may be, or you go out to uh, whitewater rafting or whatever the exercise may be. Or, and, you know, you're getting older during this time. And so I just thought I, you know, pulled a muscle or, or had some, some event. And uh, so I'd take uh, Tylenol on occasion or ibuprofen, but I, I kept running. But uh, looking back, what I noticed, and, and it didn't really hit me at the time, is that I, was, that I would... Uh, I got slower than the rest of the group. You know, I could always keep up with the group and sometimes leave the group that we'd run with. And then they started nagging me a little bit about it. And this started occurring in the fall of 2016. So maybe a couple of months before I was diagnosed, and they, they would talk about, you know, what's happening? You're getting slower and slower. I said, oh, I'm just getting old. And I said, this hip's bothering me. And so I went to uh, see my primary care provider. They did an x-ray, nothing, didn't show anything. So he said, well, you just need some physical therapy. So I went to physical therapy for a month and then um, stayed in physical therapy for about a month. And they were going to release me. And I said, you know, I just still don't feel like it's, it's exactly right. Uh, I'm still able to run. Uh, I cut, on, cut down on my distances, but I said, I'm still sore. And so I was leaving the office one day, and the physician said, well, you know what? Just to ease your mind, I'll do an ultrasound. And he was going to do it himself, and he did. He went and got an ultrasound machine. He said, okay, this is what your left hip looks like. And he he went through all the muscle striations and what to look for. And he really did a great job. And and I learned a lot about ultrasound, too, on myself. But as soon as he moved the ultrasound to the right side, he stopped talking. And uh, I guess maybe six or seven minutes passed. And uh, he never said a word. Uh, Then he stopped. He turned the lights on, turned the ultrasound machine off. And he said, "Uh, you've got a concerning mass there. He said, I think that's what it's going to turn out to be, a mass of some sort. He said it's getting a large blood supply, I can tell that, but he said it's, it's, it's not. it doesn't appear what it should appear, but he said ultrasound, of course, is very limiting in what we can tell. He said, I'll call you tonight, took my personal phone number, my cell number from me, called me on his phone from his home uh, that night because it was already after hours, and uh, I had an MRI scheduled for the next day, uh, maybe 8.15 in the morning, I think, and then by 11 o'clock that morning, he had called me because the radiologist called him, and I had a large tumor in the right hip and uh, it turned out to be about the size of a cantaloupe. And so at that time, uh, while he still had me on the phone, gave me the news, he said, uh, we don't have the skill set in our area to deal with this. And he said, you need to find somewhere that does. He said, I'll help you look, but he said, if you find somewhere before I do and I can assist you in any way, let me know. Again, gave me his personal phone number. And so that's how I got started looking and I found out there that, uh, and he said the radiologist is Reed, was that he thought it was some type of sarcoma. He had, he had uh, at the same time, asked his partners who, who, who maybe had a little bit more experience with these, had them look at the scans or the MRI, and they agreed that likely a sarcoma, but of course couldn't be for sure without any type of biopsy. But again, he didn't want to do any of that. He didn't want All he did was another set of electrolytes. He didn't want to touch the tumor. He didn't want to take a biopsy. He said, hey, I'm gonna let wherever you go handle that. Because he said, as soon as I have you do Uh, You know, follow through these procedures and we get our own pathologists, and blah, blah, blah. He said they're going to want to do it all over again. They're going to repeat
0: the path with their own pathologist.
1: Yeah, and he said, I'm not putting you through that. And he said, I've already told you we can't handle it. So uh, back to his partners, they thought, yeah, probably some type of sarcoma. So I started looking at sarcoma centers. And Sloan, Sloan Kettering, I guess in New York, came up, Mayo Clinic came up, and of course, MD Anderson was another one. Uh, interesting story there, and I, I don't know how much time we've got for me to finish it. But I, I'll, I'll tell you how I ended up at MD Anderson was Sloan Kettering had called me first, and let me back up. What you do is on, you go online, you can you can you know upload I guess your scan, and so like to the yeah. to the Sloan Kettering yeah or Sloan MD Anderson. Kettering MD Anderson patients anybody can just go yeah. in there interesting, I'm and right. I did that okay. And Mayo Clinic was a little different at that time; you had to send all paper, so. I don't think I've ever worked as fast as I did as far as getting items uploaded, uh, copies of things made, and, and, and to the post office and getting everything sent to the mail Clinic. I did all that in one day. Well, in that same day, Sloan Kettering, they called me and said, look, we've looked at your scans. We can see you on Tuesday. So this was happening like on a Friday, and they said, we can see you Tuesday. It like you have a large mass, that, you know, and, and we've got somebody ready to see you, and, and it, sarcoma is what our initial read would be as well, but we don't know, et cetera and I said okay it sounds good to me and I hadn't heard from MD Anderson or of course Mayo Clinic yet and I hung up the phone and I recall left my home, left my house because I would taken the day off I would left my house and went to get some gas on the way to get gas the phone rang and uh, it was again Sloan Kettering calling me back and it was a nurse who was over the unit and, I, and, and, and uh, sarcoma center and I'll never forget some of the questions she asked me but uh, you, you know I, I, I really owe her a lot because one of the questions she asked me she said okay who's, who's coming with you and I said well my wife will and she said, well, she said, uh, can she navigate New York City? And I said, well, we've been to New York, but we have never had to live there. And she said, well, she said, again, we'll see you, and we'll help you in any way we can. She said, but, you know, one of the cheaper places to stay, she told me, as far as a hotel, et cetera, she said, it's going to be a couple of subway stops and transfers of trains, et cetera. said, mm-hmm. so she's not accustomed to doing that. It may be a little difficult for mm-hmm. her. Uh, It's very expensive to park a car here in New York, so we wouldn't suggest that, especially since you're not accustomed to the traffic. Mm -hmm. And she said, but again, I'm not trying to discourage you. She said, but have you tried to go anywhere else? I said, well, MD Anderson. She said, have you heard from them yet? I said, no. And she said, well, if you were my son or if you were my husband, and MD Anderson were to call, and she said, I live where you lived in Tennessee, and you're not accustomed to the metropolitan area, she said, I'd feel as comfortable at their sarcoma center as I would ours and I said thank you and I kept my appointment I mm-hmm. appreciate it but anyway maybe uh four hours later maybe half a day or so MD Anderson calls said hey we saw your scans can you be here Thursday and based upon what the nurse had called from Sloan Kettering and told me about navigating Houston versus New York I uh I said sure i gonna be there Thursday so I called her back Sloan Kettering and said look I'll be going to MD Anderson and I uh, thanked them for their time et cetera." and so uh, I really ended up at MD Anderson I guess because of some questions she just asked about navigation. And looking back, I think she knew that the treatment for this tumor and this cancer was gonna be not a two week therapy, not a month, but it's gonna be a year, Uh, it's gonna be several months. Yeah. And that Houston, uh, even though it's a large city within itself, uh, it was a little easier to navigate as -hmm. far as if my wife needed to drive or if I needed to walk. And actually, I will still, before my amputation, I walked most places. Mm -hmm. And we lived close enough, I'd, I'd walk to my appointments. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, that's how I ended up at MD Anderson. Uh, they saw me on the Thursday. Um, gave me the weekend to kind of get, I guess, uh, my affairs in order, so to speak. And the next Monday we started, got the uh, pick line in place, started chemotherapy. And uh, that was, I think, the Monday after Valentine's Day.
0: Yeah, so that is from here in the Tri-Cities, that is... Um, that requires changing planes, it does. right? So it's at least a one-stop flight. So it probably takes you
1: six hours of travel time it, between uh, the two does. flights and layover. Because sometimes, and if you didn't want to layover, you had to drive to Charlotte, North Carolina, yeah. and occasionally get a flight out of Knoxville. But you could, or you could drive to Atlanta, I guess. But either way, you're looking at you're looking at a, a drive if you mm-hmm. don't want to layover. So then you're looking at three and a half, four hours. But then you got to get there two hours early. So there's your six. This an hour flight, Yeah. so you're looking at 6 to 7, no matter how you do it. You can either lay over or drive to an airport that's a direct flight, but the driving time still makes Mm -hmm. sense, so you're still 6 or 7. Yeah, and you
0: had Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's right, to to be back on the Monday. To be back, so you probably had to leave on
1: Sunday even. Yeah, what I did, and and, uh, when we went to Houston the first time, we didn't plan this, I don't know why we did it, but it worked out perfect. We drove 16 hours. And uh, so when they told me that, we flew back and left the car in Houston. Mm-hmm. And that way, the entire time we were in Houston, we always had a car. Yeah. So that wasn't planned, and people thought we planned it that way, but it just mm-hmm. happened that I lived so far away, I couldn't make the turnaround unless I flew. And then
0: you end up getting an apartment down there. We did. Right because uh, for all the treatment. So let's let's get into some of the specifics of treatment. So okay, okay. So you get you get chemo. I do. Surgery, chemo. That's right. That's ba- adjuvant chemo, surgery, and you had chemo, and our listeners, besides hearing your stories, probably interested in some of the uh, specifics of what chemo you got,
1: so what was the, what did you get the before surgery? Okay, before surgery, I got uh, cisplatin and adriamycin, which I think we refer to as the red devil, mm-hmm. and I also got, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember, I think that may have been it. Just yeah. for the first time? Just for the first time. Yeah. I think those are the two I got, it was, yeah. Yeah, because the other two were after, yeah. And I, I, I blame that on chemo brain, but it really shouldn't be, I do not think <laughs> I'd ever forget uh, adriamycin or cisplatin. Yeah. But I started out with those. Uh, I'd had cisplatin-based therapy previously mm-hmm. with my germ cell tumor back in the 90s. Uh, it, it, I'd really had a tough time with the nausea and vomiting then. Mm-hmm. I, back in, uh, in the, the, 90s, first, yeah. Yeah, the first time. Well, this time I did as well. Uh, I recall going into the hospital, getting checked in, Uh, They do a great job there, took good care of me, got the chemo running, and then that night uh, the nausea and the vomiting hit, and and I recall later the nurses telling me that I was probably one of the worst cases they'd ever seen, not necessarily from, I guess, uh, the number of times I I vomited or the nausea, not only starting with just the first dose, but also just... uh, how fast onset mm-hmm. it hit me. It wasn't just like, you know, I waited. It was six hours and it hit me or seven or eight. I mean, it was literally within an hour of the infusion starting, I started getting sick.
0: Yeah. So back in the 90s, did you have emesis? Did you throw up? I did. You did. So you've got a couple risk factors against you in that you had prior chemo that made you vomit. That's right. That's a, a bad experience with chemotherapy-induced nons That's a risk factor. You're getting, you know, the poster child for chemo-induced nausea and I think you told me you got... Like 120 milligrams per meter squared. I Is that, right? So that's that's a dose. If you look up in a, if you look up a cisplatin monograph in our favorite drug information databases, you know in bold it says doses above 100 milligrams per meter squared should be questioned. You know before before preparing and dispensing. So, but I know MD Anderson has their own internal data about pushing the dose. So you got a higher dose, so of course higher risk. So you had a lot of a lot of stuff uh, stacked against you with regards to that. Um, so what did they do? You had a bad experience with cycle one.
1: What do they change with Cycle 2? What they changed with Cycle 2, which made a huge difference, and even being a pharmacist, I, I'd never heard of this, never thought about it, and actually, I, I think I even texted you to ask. They said, you know, we're going to try a different drug in you, and then, of course, they tried Odancitron and they tried Promethazine, and uh, I'd had a Compazine allergy from years ago, so Promethazine, they was a little iffy about pushing mm-hmm. the dose because it caused some CNS changes, and that's back when I was, that was way, way back like I was a teenager. So. They didn't want to push it. And Odansetron actually came out or it hit the market during my first treatment back in the 90s. So I was one of the first patients to ever receive it. So your first time, you got Zofran back in the first time. That's right. Okay, so you didn't miss out on the no, five no, patients. No, 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 no. So okay. I had it. So we thought, we'll just try it again. We'll just push the doses. Well, that didn't help. So they, they, they really cranked up the dose. They gave me Lorazepam. Uh, to help, and of course you had the steroids and everything on board. Did you get him a prep attack? Uh Yes, yeah. I okay. did. So you got everything with okay. the guidelines a couple of years. Before. That's right, so, you three so everything you could think of. But then when the Cycle 2 came around, that's what we're going to get back to that surprised me as a pharmacist. They walked in the door, they said, you know, we've had some success with a drug by the name of olanzapine, mm-hmm. and said, uh, it really works well in patients such as yourself. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's fine, I'll give it a try, I know what mm-hmm. it's going to be used for, but I didn't know it's an off-label use, but let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took one dose of olanzapine each day for the five days of chemotherapy. No nausea, no vomiting. Uh, yeah, the first day or two, uh, I slept like a baby because it yeah. they just wanted to knock me out. Yeah, But uh, it was amazing. Uh, maybe around cycle four, I don't think it was the third cycle, it might have been cycle four, somehow I ended up missing a day of olanzapine. Maybe it got left off the mar, or something happened, mm. and I knew it, because I immediately was sick again. So we knew what happened, so when I took it again, so I knew how, good, how well that, that medication was working in me. I mean, it, it was a game changer. I mean, I was able to get up and walk the halls, I was able to yeah. eat, I was able to, I mean, I functioned normally. Now again, I would sit down in the chair on day one and day two, and, or lay back in the bed, and, and I would doze off within five minutes. But by day three, it's almost like my body adapted mm-hmm. to the lanzapine and I was good to go.
0: You know, somebody is going to be in Houston listening to this, and they're going to hear about an, an adverse drug event from a missed dose of olanzapine. And they're going back and be like, what did we do? How did this form them? I don't know what I – you
1: know, and, and it might not have been their fault. It, 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 it might have been that, that uh, yeah, they gave it to me in the cup, and I thought I'd taken them all, and it was a white tablet, and, I, and you know, I just didn't see it. Uh, but it, but we all knew kind of what happened, like you know, and, and – um, and so I really don't know. But uh, but again, cause I, I don't want to blame anything on them. If anything, it helped reassure me that olanzapine was really what I needed. Yeah. And so
0: the the updated, the most recent ASCO guidelines for preventing chemotherapy-induced nausea called for basically a four-drug cocktail, including olanzapine, for cisplatin-based regimens, highly emetogenic chemo. And those guidelines came out in, in 2018. Okay. So it would have been... Before that. So yes. you were you were right on time with your first cisplatin experience with, with ondansetron, and you were just a year early and missing out on Olanzapine up front, probably. Any problems with neuropathy? Because you've had now a lot of cisplatin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah any yeah. problems with numbness in your fingers and toes? Is it yeah. still there?
1: Yeah. yeah, I've still got uh, numbness in my toes. Uh, on my left foot, about 50% is what I say, feelings, all I have. Uh, my hands have gotten a lot better. A lot of people don't know this, and I, don't, I guess I share this with any of the faculty, when I first left, I guess, uh, MD Anderson and came back home, this was back in February of 2018, uh, the neuropathy was so bad, I mean, I could hold a cup, like a cup of coffee or a drink, but uh, I could, I could, I could not write legibly with my right hand, I'm right-handed, and of course left I couldn't because I've never been able to, but the right-hand, and so... I, I didn't know if I'd ever get that back or not. Numbness. The numbness was numbness? so bad. No pain, I just numbness. Numbness. I, I, I couldn't hold a pen to write. I couldn't. I couldn't feel. You know, I, and to you, to yourself, and to your listeners, you know how you, you can look at something, and we've written things so you know since grade school with a pencil or a pen. You can look away and still make your signature, or write mm-hmm. your signature, or write something. I, I, it, it was very difficult to do that, uh, but with time, and, and it didn't take long. The feeling started to come back. And so I'd probably say I've got, you know, 90% plus feeling in my hands now. So the neuropathy is almost completely gone. Mm-hmm. Really cold days like we're having today, I can tell a difference. Mm. I get some numbness. Uh, but uh, I noticed in the summer and warm, warm uh, summer days, I guess it's kind of like your uh, sometimes grandma and granddad, you know, in your families talk about arthritis and aches and pains. I can kind of tell that from my neuropathy in my hands. Uh, but most of the time, it's fine. I, I mean, I, I get by. And don't, yeah. don't, don't don't notice it at all. But my foots really never changed. It's gotcha. stayed about the same. Did you have any of that prior to starting this residual from the
0: no. from the nineties? So this all got worse or started with oh yeah with the uh, the osteosarcoma treatment. Okay. Um, any pro- So just running through the, this. This is what I do with patients when I'm talking to patients. Yeah, that's fine. And and I, you know, let's say you were let's say I was working at MD Anderson and and you were coming in for a you know, a pre-cycle three checkup. This is, these were the things I'd, I'd say, how's the nose I Kidney problems, we'd look at your labs. Do you have any problems with your kidney
1: problems? I, I, I did not have any problems until this, the,
0: the post op Gotcha, okay, keep going. Okay, and we look at your potassium, or magnesium, you know, we'd do all
1: that. Ears? Yeah, ears, I had a ringing in my ears. It really got uh, bothersome. Uh, I won't say worrisome. I, I, I didn't really worry about it as much because, again, like with the neuropathy, I was hoping it would go away, and for the most part, it has. But, yeah, cycle three and four, my, my ears were ringing. I was always wanting to answer the telephone, so to speak, <laughs> because with uh, uh, cisplatin, yeah, I had the ringing in the ears. Okay. Uh, you know, potassium, magnesium, yeah, I had wasting. I was always getting boluses. Yeah. It was very difficult to keep potassium yeah. magnesium up.
0: Okay, and then the doxorubicin, you know, ticker's good. Yeah. Heart's good. Red urine? Yeah, I did have the red ear. And how long did that last? Um,
1: after the dose, maybe I don't know, maybe a, I don't know, two or three days or something. Okay, it and did they do long.
0: did they do the doxorubicin like a bolus dose or do they do it over, you know, like twenty four hours? I'm trying to remember.
1: I think it was like a bolus
0: dose. Okay, okay. So those are kind of the drug specific uh, side effects. A lot of cancer patients, a lot of people receiving chemo, uh, will complain of taste changes. Yeah, I had that as well. So, you know, I've heard people say, just I don't feel like eating, you know, just which is kind of, you know, a protective thing from nausea and vomiting. And then just I taste, I'll, I'll be hungry, I'll take a bite, and I feel full, or food just has
1: no taste. Yeah, food just had no taste for me. Uh, the first thing to really go, and which was odd, was breads. And it's like I could take a, a slice of loaf of bread for a sandwich or a roll or a. I want to, you can use anything, a biscuit or any, I, I'm trying to, a cinnamon roll, any type of bread type product. It's almost like I could taste it, and I could taste all the ingredients in it, all the fillers, all the, I don't know how else to explain it. In other words, it just tasted really bad. I mean, it just, but yet it had no taste. It's almost like you had paper in your mouth. Okay. And so I didn't want it at all. Uh, next, what went away, you know, it was sweets. So I didn't want anything sweet. Uh, so I mean that helped as far as like if I wanted tea or something because I don't drink coffee. You know I drink an unsweet tea and didn't want soft drinks at all because they were way too sweet.
0: You didn't now
1: no. for those of you
0: that know Dr. Odal <laughs> perpetually would have mellow yellow with at right. all times, time. So when you say you didn't drink soft drinks, oh yeah, that made that made my draw drop a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's it. I mean, uh, yeah, I gave yeah I, I couldn't taste them and it didn't taste right. I mean they were just. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how else to explain it. It's not that I could taste the sweetness. It just, again, it was kind of like the bread products. It was bland. It just, it, it, think, it? well, you could eat something bland, but it was more than that. It was uh, almost nauseating in a way mm. that it tasted. But the few things that I could eat, I could, I could eat cheese, and I always kept a taste for cheese and eggs. And so I really lived off cheese and eggs. Yeah. And I ate a lot of cheese and eggs together. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. And and, and uh, sometimes for three meals. Wow. Metallic taste at all? Yeah, I did have metallic okay. taste as well.
0: Okay. Um, so you, you get uh, how many cycles of
1: chemo prior to surgery? I got four prior to surgery, and then I was hospitalized with each one for five days, sometimes okay. six, depending on how my renal function or my likes look. Yeah. Because maybe, you know, day five, they have to check and my potassium's low, so I got to stay an extra day to get a potassium rider or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And they gave you growth factor? They did. Give you an elasta?
0: They did. Give you peg progress. Okay. So, four cycles. That's right. And then surgery. That's right. And this is a big surgery. That's right. So, you know, as pharmacists, I, I, I think of surgery as, as a black or white thing. You have surgery, you don't, but there are certainly levels of surgery. And this is a surgery that requires, this is probably why you had to go to MB Anderson, it requires a very skilled surgeon. That's right. So, you get. Massive surgery. You mentioned earlier that, you know, you had an amputation. It is not, you know, it's the
1: whole... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Into the hip, uh, Yeah, yeah. Right? external hemipelvectomy is what I've had, yeah. So, big surgery. Yeah, 21 hours. 21 hours surgery? Yeah, I had an hour, I had an 8-hour kind of like pre-surgery to kind of get me ready for surgery. Then I had a day break. So, I had a, that on Monday, I had like an 8-hour surgery to kind of set everything up to get ready for surgery. Skipped a day. And then went in for on surgery on the early Wednesday morning, and it was 21 hours. Wow. Same surgeon in the, like same surgical group in there for 21 hours, or Are they like? Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, you know I've had that question before. I ended up with like maybe four or five different surgeons, but now when I say that, that counts the residents, the fellows, right. everybody. But uh, I will say this: the, the 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 main surgeon, the orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, he stayed there the entire time. Wow. Yeah, he would visit with my family, my wife, back and forth, back and forth. So. When I finished up at two or three a.m. or whatever time it was, mm-hmm. he was still there at two or three a.m. Gosh, wow! And so he said, and, and I'll say this too: anesthesia, same anesthesiologist. yeah. I don't know how they, I don't know how they will do it. So you know, you know, but they did, and um, yeah, stuck right with me. You know, yeah. so uh, and that's what you want. You know, that's what you want mm-hmm. if you're the patient. Yeah, you don't want four or five different people. Going <laughs> well, yeah. and tell me about this yeah. guy. Yeah. You, know? you want you want to be awake the whole time. That's though. right. That's you know?
0: right. Okay, so how long did it take after the surgery? Did you go to, to physical therapy? Because now you're, you're down a leg. I am. Which is, I can't imagine how hard, difficult, disorienting that is. Did you yeah. go to physical therapy? Did you do chemo? Did you, you no, know, no, no, do no. both? They,
1: they, they sent me to physical therapy first. So what okay. I did, uh, after I got out of the ICU, of course, went to the floor and then went to rehab. And then I spent about, uh, I don't know, maybe six weeks uh, between, uh, I guess, ICU, the floor, and rehab. And then, so that would have because I had surgery the very first of June, maybe like June 4th, June 5th. And then, uh, yeah, six weeks. So I guess really, it was it was uh, maybe July the 14th, 15th. I was released. Uh, and when I say released, uh, i was still, of course, going to rehab, but it was outpatient rehab. And uh, around the first of August, oncology said, "Hey, why don't you take a little break?" Uh, go home for a couple of weeks. So I went home for a couple of weeks in August, and uh, and then came back and started my uh, chemo. Then okay. So I guess I had about a two month break, maybe just a little, 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 maybe a week over that being two months for my surgery before I started the, I guess the chemo that was after
0: surgery. Okay. So then the adjuvant chemo, what you get after surgery, that's. Ifosmide Yes Idosmethotrexate And methotrexate And methotrexate Yeah, idosmethotrexate and ifosmide Okay, so um, Again, drug-specific side effects for ifosmide the, the hemorrhagic cystitis they, I'm sure they, they would have given you mesna And a lot of other fluids Any trouble with, no. with that? No. Okay, that's good And then um, uh, Some people can get some uh, some neurotoxicity there Yeah. can be confusion um, Usually, you know, they just kind of a little out of it a little confused it can even progress to you know, like seizures
1: um, so you had some of that yeah I had some of that yeah and you know they would ask me where I was at and I'd give them addresses of uh, places back here in Johnson City or Kingsport or whatever and, you know what impressed my wife when I did that I'd, I'd get the address dead on And <laughs> which you know I, I don't even think I could do that now and yeah. I'm not getting hyposmite but at the time somewhere in my brain the address was in there that's great but I would tell them I would be you know, I would be somewhere either in Memphis, Tennessee, or Kingsport, or John C. Or I'd be in Baltimore, Maryland, yeah. or somewhere.
0: Oh, okay, that's. I remember. I forget what it was. It was maybe it was for our mortgage. You had to put down everywhere you'd live for yeah. so.
1: I can't remember yeah. the address, but you, but on a like you could. That's on Fossum, I could, but I don't remember really any of any of that happening. Mm-hmm. And, and they would usually back off the dose a little then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when we'd start the next cycle, they'd give me the same dose again. So I had those. Side effects each time. Okay. But and then that, high-dose methotrexate? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I don't have a lot. high methotrexate, that, that, that did a number on my kidneys. Yeah. You know, uh, I just couldn't clear it as fast as, 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 uh, as someone that would have been 15 years old. Yeah.
0: Well, so this is another thing. So osteosarcoma is a disease usually of... Pediatrics you know, teenagers, yeah. you know, like 15 to 25 is the sweet spot. So you, you're not 15 to 25. No, 50. You're, yeah. So you're kind of an outlier here, which is another, uh, good reason to go to a, you know, a center of excellence like MD Anderson. Um, so yeah, so your kidneys are also not 15 to 25. No, they're not. And, uh, they really held up well until, uh, the Howell Smith direction. Well, especially considering you'd had two rounds Of cisplatin as well, which is nephrotoxic. Yeah. uh, In your in your lifetime, but they would have done the IV fluids with bicarbonate, urine pH, lucuvor, and rescue afterwards. That's right. Do you remember what dose of methotrexate you got in grams per meter squared? Uh, Twelve. Was it twelve? I think it's twelve. So yeah, so twelve milligrams, twelve grams, (laughs) like twelve milligrams is like a dose for RA. Twelve grams per meter squared, and usually there's a cap. Absolute cap at twenty grams. I don't know if they did that there, but that's again. I can't remember, but I think mine was twelve. I you think probably it was. I mean, because you're you're not a you're not a big guy, so you're not one of the typical Americans whose BSA is exactly two. And then and after having the leg amputated, it was your BSA would have been less than that. And they did did they do any fudging of the BSA? Like this is a um, an unknown um, question of what to do for people receiving chemo who've had an amputation. Should you because Your weight is accounted for in losing a limb. That's right. But your height, which also goes into BSA calculation, is the same. And so some people argued you should use the rule of nines like in burn victims or you should take the BSA and and cut it a little bit. Did they do anything like that? Not that I know of. They just went with it. Yeah. Uh, Which is kind of what I advocate if you're treating for curative intent because, uh, at least for me, if you're trying to cure somebody, I would rather overdose. Than underdose. I, yeah, don't have I think a little that's bit too what much they kind of went with, yeah. too little. Okay. Um, did they tell you anything about your LFTs shooting up after, you know, a huge dose of methotrexate like uh, that? Because that would have
1: been pretty They it. They did a little, but I, I don't think ever um – not that that much, maybe one and a half times above or something. Oh, that's, maybe two that's times. Not bad. That was yeah, that's they not weren't bad. bad at all. They
0: didn't have to keep you in the hospital to watch your your liver or anything. No, 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 okay. no, no. I,
1: I think maybe one and a half times above okay. That's the most they ever went, they ever went up. Yeah, that, I think that kind of surprised all of us. Yeah. But again, my renal—it's almost like my kidneys took the hit from you know it delivered mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, how long were you in the hospital after a dose of methotrexate? Uh, oh, let's see. Uh, my well, longest stay after the chemo would have been ifosfamide dose, and that would have been 18 days. But most of the time, only five or six. Uh, methotrexate, I stayed, uh, I think I stayed once eight days. Yeah, and that was the longest? And that was the longest. This most of the be- time,
0: I got out within five days. Okay. okay. Um, and how many cycles, how long was that period where were getting the ifosfamide and the high-dose methotrexate? Ifosfamide
1: was from uh, the end of August until... Uh, Maybe the uh, second week of November, maybe the week right before Thanksgiving, and so that was four cycles. So that would have been around what three weeks apart? Does so that get us about twelve weeks in there? It mm-hmm. would, would it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you got eight weeks September, October. That's right. Then a week in August, Yeah, and so the methotrexate though, what they tried to do was, uh, and, and and we did, we were able to squeeze in extra. I mean, not extra doses or additional doses, but doses sooner. Mm-hmm. So what they would do would be they would uh, check my counts. And uh, if I was able to go a week early for the methotrexate dose, I would. So I started out with doing like an every other week with methotrexate. First week that didn't fly; Mm -hmm. numbers didn't look great, so I had to wait an extra week. So the second cycle was three weeks out. But then the third cycle, I got to go two weeks out. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth cycle, I got to go two weeks out. Yeah, some of these osteosarcoma
0: protocols are are really um, intense, and it's you know it'll be like you'll get. Um, I've seen some where it's cisplatin, you know, doctors on on, you know, week one, then week three is ifos, um, week four and five is high dose methotrexate, and then it starts all over again. So so each each of these protocols are are, are fairly intense.
1: Oh yeah, they are.
0: So so moving beyond kind of the drug specific stuff, you know, what about infections? Any In trouble with infections? Oh yeah, I had.
1: And uh, when I say that, it's, 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 like it's just you know, everyday life, but yeah, I did have trouble, a neutropenic fever. Mm-hmm. I was admitted uh, twice, I believe, a neutropenic fever. Yeah. And that was uh, with the f- uh, pre-surgery uh, chemo. Yeah. Uh, what about fatigue? Oh, yeah. Now, fatigue was, I had and, and, and again, I think the fatigue, well, it probably was the same. Uh, believe it or not, even though I had really, I had CNS effects when I was in the hospital. When I was out of the hospital, and, uh, you know, kind of had my week of, uh, you know, pretty good counts. Uh, I probably did the best on it. it was probably fatigue. It didn't cause as much fatigue. Uh, the the uh, doxorubicin and the cisplatin probably was the worst. And the methotrexate and then But, yeah, when I was on the cisplatin and doxorubicin, I, I didn't feel like I could hardly walk across the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still, I, what I found was if I forced myself to do something, I usually felt better. I know that sounds crazy, but yeah. I'd try to still walk to the appointments. Because, again, that was pre-surgery, so I still could walk. So even though I might feel a little nauseated or not feel great, and I had a physician's appointment or appointment to get blood drug, blood drawn, you know, it'd be a couple blocks away or three blocks I, I would still try to walk. You know, as long as i mm-hmm. went in the middle of the day in Texas. Yeah. You know, if it was an early morning appointment or late in the evening, I would
0: walk. Well, you were a good patient, because I've had this discussion with patients before uh, that are fatigued, and we have... Some fairly good evidence and, and quite a bit of it that exercise is the best thing for either chemo or cancer induced fatigue, whether it's yoga, whether it's aerobic exercise, walking, running, whether it's, you know, dance, any of, the, any of this stuff, basically any movement helps. But that's a hard sell oh, yeah. if you're already fatigued. To oh, say, yeah, you feel oh, horrible. Yeah. So you did, you did the best that you could and, and oh, made did. the best of it. So. Yeah, and
1: I, I even still, in the apartment complex we lived, I would go to the stairwell, and it would be air-conditioned. And that was one of the first stairwells I've ever seen <laughs> <An> air-conditioned. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like it was 68 degrees, but still it was cooler than what it, what it was outside. And uh, I would walk the stairs. And so, because I knew if i make myself get get going moving, I felt better. I couldn't explain it, but that's how bad I felt. But I knew, I said, hey, if I can just walk for five minutes, I'll feel better. Then the five minutes would turn into a, maybe a 15, 20-minute walk. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to continue that all throughout. Of course, that got more difficult after the amputation. Yeah. Uh, but still, I, I, I tried to keep some movement, some exercise. Mm-hmm. DVT. I did have a PE, PE, PE after
0: surgery. Okay. Post. So post surgery. Okay. You were in the hospital. So that was during the rehab.
1: Yeah. Okay. And you took. Uh, a noxaparin. Twice a day. It hurts. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, until day I think uh, five months, and then after five months they switched me to uh, a pixpan.
0: A and you did that for, for a, month. a month. For a, okay, so you did six months. Six months there. Six months total of okay. Uh, sounds sounds that sounds good. So that it was a, it was a surgery
1: induced. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't and chemo they had cancer. a long discussion over that. Yeah, they did uh, because you know I was post op and mm-hmm. had to pee. And and they discussed that the the physicians did and they discussed that with me uh, on, on like do you need long term therapy or we're going to treat this as if it was a chemo you know induced or chemo was your know, risk factor yes but you also had a 21 hour surgery and so and so they elected to go with uh, that it was surgery induced so again PE six months that was it and I was glad that way I'm not on lifelong yeah. therapy. And so, it hadn't had any
0: problems since. And when you stopped the anticoagulation, were you still getting chemo? Had the chemo stopped by then? You know, there's probably about a week difference. Okay. It's a little interesting. They didn't switch you to the oral agent a little bit sooner. The only reason
1: why they didn't is, uh, again, you know, when you get physicians discussing, you know, it was all it was a gray area with them. Yeah. I could tell that it was. So they knew that enoxaparin was a. Yeah. It was a little safer bet. Yeah. But as it got a little closer and closer and closer, I, I, I think, and they felt more comfortable. And again, that's why I was month five. They switched me. Um, I think if I'd have pushed them on it, in other words, like, "Hey, I can't give myself any more shots," they would yeah, be fine with it. Yeah. But as long as I was still able to give myself, they, they, they were, and I, you know, and I was fortunate. Very little bruising. Rarely mm-hmm. did I bruise from the knock I know I, I hear about patients all the time what bruises mm-hmm. me. and I'm black and blue. And I didn't have any of that, so I did okay. So, what uh, what access did you have?
0: To the pharmacist. Did you see a pharmacist while you were in the hospital? I did. I did. They there... came.
1: They rounded with the team, mm-hmm. and uh, they would come in. Uh, and then, you know, as, as with any pharmacist or physician or resident or fellow or nurse, you know, there'd be some that would come by more often afterwards and mm-hmm. talk with me, and some would just ask, you know, uh, questions when they were with the team, and maybe I wouldn't see them again or. But I, you know, or sometimes I put in a request, hey, can the pharmacist come by and see me? And they would. Mm -hmm. And so I was impressed by that. I mean, you know, a good follow up. Mm -hmm. Uh, What were some of your questions that you had that you asked? uh, You know, uh, Olanzapine, I asked about Mm -hmm. it and said, hey, am I supposed to really forget who I am for two days? And, you know, how long have you guys been studying this? You know, it's new to me. So I really asked a lot of questions about it because I wanted to bring it back Mm -hmm. home because it works so well in me. I wanted to tell others about it. And so they gave me a little insight about it. Uh, I asked some questions about, diet and uh, you said well, what makes you ask the pharmacist well the reason why is uh you know i would read some information and talked to other patients while i was there about you know increase in glucose or sugar i say sugar so to speak i don't know who all the listeners are but glucose uh in patients with cancer since cancer cells tend to like a higher glucose content yeah you had that. a pet scan
0: at some point probably that's like, right that's <laughs> right wait
1: we're, we're measuring glucose uptake that's here, right and we're i'm measuring... drinking all this metal yellow that's <laughs> right that's right so and i'm glad i don't like it anymore and so, uh, you know, those are some of the questions I asked the pharmacist. And because what I read is uh, some of the patients uh, were on metformin. not not sarcoma patients, mm-hmm. but other types of cancers. Because they wanted to keep the glucose at a steady level. And that was one of the studies they had on- ongoing, at the time and ongoing at the time. So I asked the pharmacist more questions about that. So uh, I guess a lot of my questions turned out to be more in general. Oh, excuse me. Rather than just... Uh, about my Pacific treatment, but I was wanting to know more about, hey, how do you guys handle this, how do you do this, how do you do that? And that kept my mind fresh, too, and kind of kept it off my own treatment because I'd ask about, you know, uh, I guess, uh, well, I sometimes would ask a question about, uh, you know, chemotherapy and and, 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 then, you know, how soon did he mix the bags and how did that work downstairs and the logistics of getting Mm -hmm. up to the floor in a hospital as large as they were. It was just unimaginable to me that they could take care of all of us
0: yeah, I've heard they have their own zip code there. And and so, yeah, code. they must,
1: and and, and so and, and I was just impressed by that, and everything the nurses did as well. I, I would ask them, you know, how do you guys get all of this done? So. Now, now around
0: here, because you you've lived in the area for for twenty some years. That's right. So you go to any pharmacy around here. There's a pretty good chance you or I would see a former student. That's right. So if you were picking up a prescription around here for you know whatever, you know they may not t- you know make a big effort to try to counsel you because I you know. He taught me, you know, yeah. sort of thing. What about, what about you know, down there? Did you have any good examples of, of you know, community pharmacists
1: or bad examples? You know, you got to pick up um, something and... I guess I used the uh, pharmacy inside the hospital. It was like an outpatient pharmacy. And, uh, no, I mean, they did a good job. Uh, and, and I think they... The reason why I say that, let me back up. I, I think they knew what I had in-house. And so if it was something new they were adding, like when they added the Pixaband, mm-hmm. yeah, they canceled me on it. Mm-hmm. But if I was going home and uh, it was an odansetron prescription and I'd already been in the hospital for a week, they mm-hmm. said, hey, you got any questions? Because mm-hmm. they knew I'd already be on it for a week. And so th- those are not, and, and that's not intended to mean they weren't doing their job. I think they were in the fact that they were like, they had a lot of patients see, a lot of prescriptions to feel, fill, and they did a really good job at looking and saying, okay, what what's he had before and what's new? Mm-hmm. And... uh yeah, so that was really my experience with, uh, I guess, the outpatient pharmacy. To be honest, my wife went probably seventy-five percent of the time to pick up the prescriptions. Uh, but anything new, they always counseled me on. Uh, I was fortunate in in that I didn't have to take a lot. Uh, outpatient, you know, once I got those initial adenosine prescriptions filled, uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, maybe some promethazine, or you know, and. and uh, Maybe a little Tramadol or something for pain. I'm trying to remember. It, it, it was things way back like when I first started February 2017, 20, yeah, maybe March 2017. Everything else I got, I got in-house. I was mm-hmm. so fortunate that when I got discharged, I'd go home for my two weeks, uh, unless it was like after neutropenic fever when I maybe needed an oral antibiotic. They canceled me on those, of course. Uh, I didn't take them. Very little. I mean, they'd be surprised when I'd come in for each visit. Okay, what are you taking now? And I'd name off one or two things. And that'd be it. No blood pressure problems. Nothing. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I was. So I guess I was an easy one to come to the mm-hmm. door. I wasn't one that came to the door like, oh, yeah, here comes that guy with the basket of meds. Yeah.
0: So what's your uh, what's your follow up schedule like now?
1: I go every three months.
0: Every three months for scans. That's right. CT scan and MRI. Do you go back there? I go back there. You go back there every three months for scans. Okay. I do. So one of the things, like, you know, I I have a lecture at the end of the oncology module about cancer survivorship. And you read about uh, the anxiety that comes with, you know, I've I've heard patients say, you know, for like the two and a half months, you know, everything's fine. And then, you know, that date.
1: Do you have any of that anxiety? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. And, you know, I don't know why I did not have that as much, or if I don't recall, with the germ cell tumor back in the 90s. But I just didn't. Uh, I don't know if it's because I was younger, and I thought, you know, there's nothing going to happen. I I don't know. But yeah, I have that now a, a lot, uh, and and that that's probably uh that's probably my my biggest battle I face now is the the mental battle of knowing. And you know, I had a friend of mine down in, in, in that I met there, and he told me after I left after discharge, and we said he was from Louisiana, and, and, and of course i was from Tennessee. He said, yeah, now we, we live our lives three months at a time. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really stick at the time, I and mean, I was just glad to be leaving and coming back home, you know. And like I said, I enjoyed my time. As far as I was in a good place, people took care of me, met a lot, a lot of nice mm-hmm. people. And, uh, you know, and, and when I go back, I look forward to visiting these people. Uh, that, that part, you know, uh, and the kindness I, and, and, and the people show me here at home and also there in Houston. But still, yeah, I get very anxious when I go back, mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, I, I don't know anything I can tell any patients how to how to get around that or get past that. I don't know anything a physician could say, a nurse could say, pharmacist could say uh, to to alleviate yeah.
0: that anxiety. Well, I just read in the latest JCO. There's a, a they have a series called Art of Cancer, and it's just usually like a personal vignette. And I think it's called Laughter in Oncology, and it. it the, the oncologist talks about uh, when patients come in to get their scan results, you can feel the tension in the room. And he's like, so I'll just say everything looks good. And then immediately there's a big sigh and there's a laugh that just cuts everything, you yeah. know, um, which which those of us who are the, the caregivers and not the patients have no idea what that feels like on on the other end. Um, so after you get the scan, how long do you wait until you get the results? The next day, the next day. Okay. So you get to scan, then you go back in and see the doc on the next day. That's and right. Get the results. Okay. And
1: then it's sigh relief. Fly That's right. Home. That's so, right. So, and, and, you know, so it kind of goes back right you know, to what my colleague or, I guess, a fellow patient had told me. We, we kind of live our, mm-hmm. our lives three months at a, at a time. And yeah. you, know, you don't want to live that way uh, because you, know, you can step out here on the street and a bus run over you. I guess it's just the difference, as, as he's pointed out before but you don't have the anticipation of it coming. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's the difference. Well, Brian, thanks for
0: for, yeah. for talking to me. One of the things that I love, and I have one more question for him, but one of the things that, that I learned the most is when I talk to patients. Because when when you hear a patient talk about their their neurotoxicity from my if you've never seen it before, you have an idea of, you know, it just means something to hear it from a patient and then read it in a book or hear you know, oh, yeah. a family yeah, yeah. say that. But, uh, you know, you know you know, we have listeners, uh, we, it's just me, <laughs> but listeners of this podcast, you know, our pharmacy students, their pharmacy residents, their they're oncology pharmacists, they're nurse practitioners and mid levels and some oncologists. Um, so, what would you tell, you know, an oncology clinician that they don't know about what it's like to treat somebody with,
1: that has cancer unless you are a patient? Uh, I would have to say, prior to becoming a patient, I didn't realize, the, I guess, men- mentally, what it takes on the patient end. At least it did for me, to come to wrap your head around. Okay, I have a disease now. or I have a cancer. Uh, you know, high-grade osteosarcoma. Uh, you got to wrap your head around that. Okay, what? You know, what's the physician saying? What are the treatments? What can I expect? Uh, I, you know, and I think physicians and and and, and and caregivers do the best they can as far as trying to comfort, but we we'll go back to that sympathy versus empathy. you know one is is if a, I've walked in your shoes, the other is I have not, but I still have compassion for you and and that's one thing, and I don't want anyone to be diagnosed at all if we could get rid of cancer completely diagnosed that way, no one would ever know that, but I think what's overlooked is and I don't really know how you would treat that or what you would do about it is the what it takes mentally. It did, at least it did for me to walk in, get your chemo each time. You know, wanting to turn around and go get on the elevator and and leave and walk out and throw your hands up, and say forget it. But yet on the flip side, you want to live, but that battle in your mind. I don't know another way to explain it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, I don't know. It, it's it's uh, it, it's it's surreal. I mean, and you know, it's. Uh, I, I don't know the way, that that's that was my toughest uh, battle and, and even when I got back, it was like to uh, see everybody back at work, back at home, church, my community, my neighborhood, whatever and, and you know so much had changed me, I'd been treated, I'd been gone for 13-14 months, I had an amputation, I'm in a wheelchair now, etc. But everybody else's lives kept going on, but then mentally, you have to adapt, so physically I would already adapted because I could get around. But it's the same way too when you sit down in front of the oncologist and caregivers the very first time, and they look at you and say, "Hey," as I got the phone call back on that Friday at 11 o'clock that said, "Hey, the MRI did show a large mass," and then mentally trying to wrap your head around that, and the next words that you can't, you know, we can't help you here. You need to find somewhere to go, which was fine. I'm glad they told me that up front, but you have to hold yourself together enough to get that done. Or again, as an example, throw your hands up, and walk away. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess I had a really better understanding of why didn't they stay and get treatment, or why didn't they do more, or why didn't they? Well, that was their decision, and I, you know, and they just they chose not to go that route. Where I guess prior to being diagnosed, I I, I didn't think about the mental uh, aspect of being told you have cancer. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I know, cause I I know that I've had this discussion. I've I've heard. You know, maybe trainees, like physician trainees, say, "I don't know why he or she this patient doesn't take their disease seriously." And it may not be that; it may be yeah. they can't, they just can't deal. That's right. They're just overwhelmed, and they have to just. I can't. Yeah. I can't
1: go through with this. It's it's too overwhelming. And the only way I got through it, I think, and my wife came up with this saying, and we said it a lot. She said, "Oh, it's all right. It'll work out." Well, so far it has. That's right. We 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 will pray that it continues to be that way.
0: We're glad that you're back. Oh yeah, I'm uh, glad to be back. You're rolling the halls instead of walking the halls, but other than that, you seem to be your same old self. That's right. And that's good. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for enlightening us on your story, Brian. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, John.